Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder. Uh, I will pass around some visual proof of my history of being a fat guy. Uh, there's a lot of pictures here. This paper picture is uh, me at probably my biggest. I was wearing a black vest because it's slimming. You can determine whether or not that works. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I like to say I was born a compulsive overeater, uh, but I was. Uh, not by choice, certainly, but my mother was a compulsive overeater. My father was what the book might call a heavy eater. I think he could have stopped, he just didn't. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know and, and I could sit here and talk about, you know, all the bad habits that I was, you know, uh, mo- that were modeled for me, and uh, etc. Uh, but, you know, my mother, you know, did the best she could, because she had our disease and she was untreated. And so she did the best she could. And, uh, you know, uh, there, I, I, you know I, it's easy to say grandly, I forgive her. But there's nothing to forgive her for. She did the best she could. So, uh, there, there, you know, I don't carry around a grudge, but it is a fact that, you know, I was a fat kid and I was, a, you know, I was husky. Uh, and uh, then, you know, I shopped at the big man stores. Uh, when I was a teenager, which was a very soul-sucking uh, experience, as you might imagine. Uh, but here's the cunning, baffling, and powerful nature of our disease. I would go to the big man store where he had mom jeans and banded bottom shirts because they didn't have those fancy Beverly Hills big man stores like they have today where you could actually get clothes that you know, might be seen in public. Uh, they had really terrible clothes. And, uh, uh, and, and so... You know, I, I was standing out enough, but now I'm standing out because I can't wear the same clothes that the other kids could wear. And I walk out of there feeling like crap because, you know, I, I, uh, another horrible experience of trying to buy clothing. Uh, and uh, I would go to the pizzeria across the street and have a couple slices to make myself feel better. So I'm feeling bad because I'm feeling fat. And even though I've learned in this program that feeling fat is not a feeling. Uh, it's a result of other issues but uh, I'm feeling fat I'm feeling terrible about myself so what do I do let's go eat (coughs) that makes a lot of sense Uh, but that was what I did and you know I was uh, uh, you know I was uh, uh, you know uh, an eater I I, you know I I earned my size Uh, I didn't come to it uh, by accident It, it, it was me uh, doing it, and uh, you know, I grew up in an age where political correctness was not uh, was, was not really in vogue, uh, and so everyone made fun of the fat kid, uh, including the other kids, including uh, the parents of the other kids, including the teachers, including strangers, uh, and uh, there was really no safe haven for that because even at home there was always uh, stress and pressure because. Uh, because my parents were bigger human beings and I was you know, the chubby kid or the fat kid, uh, there was some shame there uh, on, you know, from my parents uh, and that was hard. So I went from being ridiculed to being ashamed of myself. So that was hard. I mean, you know, and, and so no wonder I ate. But, you know, that's not an excuse. It's just a fact. Um, and, you know, the, the weight issues continued... Uh, through high school, through college, uh, that has a uh, 
dampening effect on one's social life, as you might imagine. Uh, and uh, that was, uh, you know, that made me feel bad. So my dates on Friday and Saturday night were pints of ice cream. Uh, and because I felt, you know, again, cutting, baffling, powerful. I feel bad because I'm too fat to be in the, you know, in the you know, social scene, shall we say. And so what do I do about that? I I, and there's something very soul-sucking about that as well because it's when you do something that's against your best interest that you know you shouldn't be doing but you do it anyway over and over and over it takes a part of you it does there's just no other way to say it it just takes a part of you so we'll get out of the poor me, poor me, you know, poor me another milkshake story in a minute here the only other thing I want to say is that uh, uh, there has not been a day in my life that I can recall not a day in my life that I can recall where I have not had the desire to lose weight there's just not been that day and candidly you know, I took the body image workshop that was offered here a few years ago and in it I realized that there also has not been a day uh, in my life that I haven't been ashamed of my body not a day and while a lot of things in, have improved in this program, you know, there's still, you know, th- that stuff still follows me around. It's like dragging a, you know, 110 pound weight bag of weight behind me. Uh, and it's better, but it still exists. So, obviously, in that period of time, I tried uh, everything imaginable to lose that weight, and I could tell you all the stories about all the weight loss uh, schemes and potions and lotions and pills and shots and programs, uh, but we all have done them, so you know what, what I'm talking about, uh, so I won't belabor that. Um, and uh, it, uh, you know, uh, they all worked until they didn't. As, uh, as my friend Jack likes to say, I went on a commercial weight loss plan for two weeks and lost 14 days. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that was my experience. So I would lose the weight and then I would stop. I would either re- reach a mythical goal or some confection would call me off the road and I would be gone. And I would be right back where I was. And, you know, as, uh, as we all know, uh, if you lose 20, you gain 30. You lose 50, you gain 70. Uh, and so when I was 21 years old, I decided I had enough. I lost 100 pounds in six months. Uh, and kept it off by some miracle for about four or five years. And then fell off the wagon hard. We got to about uh, 280 and found my way to these rooms. That was in 19, what year was it, Jack? Like 87, 88, something like that. Something like that. Uh, and lost the weight and uh, became, uh, 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 you know, I was, uh, I still had my hair then. I was cute, I was glib, I was, uh, I was a success story, uh, and I was celebrated, and I used that celebration to make up for all the lost time that I, uh, I missed in high school and college, and uh, worked my way out of the rooms. I graduated. And the graduation song in this uh, in this program is welcome to McDonald's may I take your order please uh, and uh, I of course went in hard and gained all the way back plus uh, and left the program uh, you know and I don't want this to be a tribute to Jack pitch but uh, I would run into Jack uh, every three or four years he was like a bad penny who kept turning up in my life 
uh, usually at a supermarket or at a movie theater or a baseball game where he was he was walking around happy, joyous, and free, and I had some food in my hand. Uh, that generally is how it went. Uh, and we would say hello, and he was very kind and loving, and we would part, and I would go, boy, he's, I wish I could do what he does, but I didn't think there was a chance of me doing it. Uh, because I didn't really do it when I was here the first time. I pretended to do it. Uh, I, I was dieting with group support uh, and other things. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, I you know, went up and down and up and down for the next 20 odd years uh, and uh, got to a point uh, where uh, I was looking for a tree that was uh, strong enough that I could hang myself from because it had to be a big honking tree because I was a big honking guy and uh, I was about 330, 335 I was financially bankrupt I was morally bankrupt uh, and we'll talk about God in a minute uh, but I was morally bankrupt and uh, uh, spiritually uh, you know, flatlined um, and so I decided to take the easier, softer way and by the way, this is in no judgment of anyone who has any sort of uh, gastric uh, history, I make no judgment uh, we all have a path uh, mine was I was going to get the gastric bypass because I didn't need to go here. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I uh, went and uh, went through all the informational uh, stuff uh, right up the street here at the hospital and uh, saw the surgeon, nice guy, asked him how many people he killed, he told me. Uh, and, uh, uh, but he said he wasn't going to kill me that I was a good candidate and you know everything was great and he slapped me on the back and said just one thing you have to see my shrink she'll tell me you're fine and then we'll do the surgery and as I left I said well you know I'm not fine and if I'm going to see a shrink I should find someone who'll tell me the truth not rubber stamp me for some surgeon you know that was and I don't know if that's what this therapist would have done or not but that's what I decided that she was going to do it was a she so I said no I got to go find my own shrink so uh, I knew a guy who was a therapist who I've talked about a lot already today uh, and I called him up and I said I, I need to see somebody I have no money because remember I'm financially bankrupt but I have great insurance how about it and he went no I can't see you you're my friend I said friend I've seen you four times in 20 years you turn up like a bad penny <laughs> And he says, uh, yeah, well, you know, on Wednesday I've got a couple of hours. Why don't you come, we'll go meet for coffee. Because he couldn't see me in a therapeutic setting because he was going to try and Eskimo me back in. Uh, and somehow he was successful. Uh, and I went to a meeting and I knew what I was getting into. So I, it was kind of a cheat. So I was really a newcomer as, as, as you know, that didn't know what was happening. And I said, well, and what he said was, you can come to program because you're not okay. You can come to program now before you mutilate your body. Or you can go have the surgery and then come to program. <laughs> because, and that seems to make sense to me because I knew I wasn't okay. So I decided to do it, you know, go to program to do it, you know, go and see what happens. Because the surgeon would have been there in a couple months if it didn't take. Uh, and so I went to Serenity Sunday and I spoke and told the truth and decided that I had to do this that I had to give this a, a real try so what I have to do and then I called him up and said uh, uh, if you're going to you got me into this you're going to have to get me through this asshole and so uh, uh, and, and, and he was my sponsor for my first several, three or four years of doing this and uh, I am eternally grateful for that for that 
But then I had to go do the steps, right? I had to actually work the program now that I'm doing it. And the first thing I had to do was admit that I was powerless over food. Now, uh, I'm a, uh, people sometimes, uh, if this offends you, I apologize, but I'm a game show producer uh, by trade. And uh, so I deal in facts. You know, I don't deal in theory. I don't deal in Wikipedia. I deal in facts. Uh, and uh, so I need to know what, uh, what, what words mean. Uh, and so I looked up the word admit in the dictionary and it means to come to the truth with reluctance (laughs) so I had to come to the truth with reluctance that I am powerless over food that I am not like normal people Uh, that is not an easy thing to come to for me at least it was not an easy thing to come to to, but I had to admit I had to, to, to face the truth and we'll talk about this more in a minute too but I had to accept I had to accept that I had a problem, that I was different, that I was abnormal, that I was sick. These are not words that one likes to use about oneself, but I am. Not was, am. Okay, I have a disease. And that disease is, uh, is an allergy of certain foods, and I looked up allergy. What does allergy mean? Allergy means an unusual reaction to a substance. That's the dictionary definition. Somebody's in the back checking their phone now, but that's what it means. Uh, and my unusual reaction to certain foods is that I can't stop eating them. Now, there are other foods like mm, broccoli or Brussels sprouts that I could eat one and walk away and never <laughs> And there are other foods like cake, candy, cookies, ice cream, blah, 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 that I can't. I can't. Bread. Cannot. It doesn't happen. Not, not, not my experience. So I had to figure out what those foods were and stop eating them. Well, it's one thing to figure out what those foods were, it's another thing to stop eating them. Right? So I had to, uh, you know, so I, you know, I had to admit I was powerless over food. I had to come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Now, I was a hedge bed agnostic. Not much for you know, spirituality, uh, but I didn't want to say there wasn't a God just in case. Uh, and you know I, it was absolute that they taught God in Hebrew school and uh, you know I was going around you know I thought just fine without God but I had to figure out what was my higher power I won't go into a lot of detail because uh, we could be here for two weeks uh, but uh, I don't personify God uh, as you know that, that guy in the, the white robe with the staff and the beard or the you know the guy hanging on the cross, or Buddha, or Allah, or any of the and and, I'm, and and if you do, that's great, because everyone's got a path. But the way I look at it, if I'm right, 85% of the world is wrong, or you know more, you know, and so we all have a different way to access our higher power, and that's okay. Doesn't matter. I don't care how you do it, and you shouldn't really care how I do it. My higher power is more of a creative spirit of the universe. It's, it, you know, but I do know that if I turn my will and my life, step three, if I actually turn my will and my life over to God, it's better. And why is it better? You know, one of the things about my spirituality, I, I, I call reality you know, my higher power a lot. Because you know, I have to be in acceptance. You know, I thought I coined this phrase, and then somebody said there's a book with a title, but uh, uh, I need to practice radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Not 
occasional acceptance or, or, or you know, kind of acceptance. I need to really look at the world as it is and myself as it is and, 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 you know, because there's only one thing I can control in this world and that's my actions. And I can't even always do that uh, as, as witnessed by the fact that I couldn't stop eating. Right? I have a disease that doesn't allow me to always control my reactions. I eat even though I don't want to. I eat even though I know it's killing me. I eat even though I know it's sucking the life out of my soul. But I do it anyway. Or I did it anyway. Today I don't have to do it. Why don't I have to do it? Because I did come to believe that there is a power greater than myself. And that's you. And that's the world. And I may not be practicing the way that the guys who, you know, who open up this, uh, this, this ark behind me and read the Torah practice it. It may not be the way that Christians practice it or Buddhists or whomever. But it's the way I practice it. And it works. Because I have no power. I can't control how you think of me, what you react to me. I can't control what other people do. I can't control the weather. You know, when someone says, I don't believe in a higher power, what I say to them, you know, I had a sponsor just the other day, said, I'm a really, I, I'm an agnostic and I'm not going to change. And I said, well, you're an agnostic and you might or you might not change. That's, you know, between you and, you know, whatever higher power you have. I said, but if you're the higher power, go outside, stop the rain, make it 20 degrees warmer. Come on, go, do, let's go. Wait, it's still raining. You, what do you mean you can't do that and if any of you can do that by the way please do 20 degrees warmer would be nice right now go outside make it 20 degrees warmer come back and I'll start praying to you but until that time there's something going on that I have no control over and I'm okay with whatever that is and, and, and I, you know when Bill Gates or Stephen Hawking would speak I couldn't understand them how am I going to understand an infinite being that's been around for anywhere between 1.3 billion and 2,000 years, depending on how you look. <laughs> it's a big spread, but, <laughs> but you know, whatever it is, you know, I, I have no way of, of, of knowing when I access that, but I do know this. When I turn my will and my life over, my life gets better. I don't have to worry about so much. I don't have to deal with so much. I don't have to control the universe. Okay, I just control me. Yeah, I took a, 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 a 12-step workshop, a, a sort of a, 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 what I call the A-agnostic 12-step workshop, you know, all you know, 12-step program. And one of the, the, the one thing that I walked away from more than anything else is that uh, the leader said that the word should is not a good word for us. Because that means that I'm God and I can tell you what you can do. Now, I like to say that I make exceptions for my children and my employees because I do get to give a little should uh, you know, with them. But the truth of the matter is, even with my kids, you should do this. Well, I don't know. Maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. So what does this all mean? Because I'm getting a bell. So what does this all mean in terms of practical reality of the world? Well, I, you know, I gave up those foods. I worked the program and I lost... Uh, and I lost a frustratingly small amount of weight each month for a long time. Uh, I lost six pounds the first month. And I'm used to dieting, right? When you diet, you 20 pounds in you know, two minutes. You know, I mean, it's, it's easy. Uh, and, and here I am, and of course I'm older when I started, but you know, I, I lost six pounds. So I, I, I turned to Jack and I said, what should I do? He said, stop eating french fries. You know. All right, so I stopped eating French fries. Six pounds the next month. Yeah, and, and it was six pounds a month for 18 months. 
and that if that's not God, so, you know. It's, you know, that's not some sort of weird spiritual thing. But in that, I learned that I take care of the fork, God takes care of the scale. Okay, my job is to be sane around food, not insane around food. Not to worry about, is, you know, I don't count calories, I don't count sodium. You know, when my sponsees come to me, they say, well, I have this chart every day, and I throw it away. In my opinion. By the way, my opinion doesn't mean if you do it, you're wrong or you should throw it away. For me, that doesn't work because I want to be sane around food. I, could, I report my food every day and I practice what we call sober eating because I learned you know, what, that what, what happened to me was I, I lost all this weight and then I got a little, you know, got a little sloppy. You know, and when I say sloppy, I wasn't eating cake, cookies, ice cream, blah, blah, blah. But mealtime became a time and not a meal. Yeah, between six and seven, whatever I could throw in, that was dinner. As long as it wasn't cake, cookies, ice cream, and I started, I gained a little weight, and I got panicked. I heard a guy talk about sober eating, and he said, it's not what we don't eat, that's important, but it's not just what we don't eat, it's how do we eat. You know, how do we, am I taking the edge off with food? And I was taking the edge off with food. Uh, and so, uh, I now weigh and measure, which I never thought I would do. I report my food on a daily basis. I have a long list of things I don't eat. And I eat like a gentleman, 98.6% of the time. Uh, you know, uh, because my, my eating could have been characterized by, with three words. Uh, volume, speed, and, intent, and, and, and desperation. I, I didn't eat because I enjoyed it. I ate because I was desperate to eat. I don't have to eat that way today. I don't have to eat that way today because I do the steps. I work out in the big book, doing the steps with my sponsor. I read two pages of the big book every day. I meet with them once a week. And if I told you that it was at 6 a.m. on Sunday, you would think I should be committed. But it's at 6 a.m. on Sunday because I go to a 7.30 a.m. meeting on Sunday and then breakfast with a group of guys that practice the sober eating thing that we talk about. Uh, I try to be honest. I say try to be honest because if I said to you I'm always honest, I, that would be a lie, which would be a terrible thing when you're talking about honesty. <laughs> but it's, it, I, you know, I, I try to be honest. And I, you know, I need work on that because I don't lie much at all anymore. I really don't. But I'm not proactively honest. I'm not, I'm not get ahead of it honest. No, I'm mean, seriously, I'm not get ahead of it honest. And I need to start looking at that. Because that, you know, I sometimes withhold. You know, I don't offer. And, and I need to start doing that more. Because, but the gift of the program is I get to look at that and look at myself and say, okay, that's an issue. And it doesn't have to be fixed in the next 27 seconds. But I need to look at it and work on it. I need to give it over to God. You know, we're talking about defects, and, and, and we didn't get to that part of, the, of my program, but you know, we're talking about uh, you know, character defects and, 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 and things you know, that I need to work on. I don't have to, you know, I, I get to do almost a 12 step on each defect. I am powerless over lying, I am powerless over not being honest, I am powerless over blank. You know, and then see, and then take a look at it and work on it and know that I'm trying to do something positive for myself as opposed to that soul sucking thing of knowing that I'm a liar, cheat, thief as I was and not caring, knowing that I cut every corner, that rules were for other people, 
and, and, and being proud of that. Now I'm from New York, so I had a disadvantage when it comes to that. <laughs> but, but, you know, because uh, I thought that rules were for other people, and every corner needed to be cut. You know, and a few people talk about yellow light foods. I'm from New York. I never saw yellow light. I didn't want to drive right through. I have no yellow light foods. I'm as allergic to chips outside my house as I am inside of my house. You know, and, and so I have black, and, you know, I try to make things, you know, the food issues black and white, and I let life have the shades of gray that it does. And I try and live in reality, and I, everything I've said here, I've been taught by the people in this room and the people in this program, and I am incredibly grateful for that. Oh, one last thing, real quick statistics. I've been doing this since uh, July 5th, 2009, July 5th, by the way, not just a, a random day. It was after the binge on July 5th. Uh, and, uh, and I've lost 110 pounds, uh, or 115 pounds, somewhere in that range. Uh, and uh, I guess that's the statistics. Anyway, that's my time, so thank you very much. Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. I should probably read that twice. Uh, when asking questions, you need to not identify yourself, but please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast, and I have to restate the question, etc. What do you still struggle with today, and what do you do when you when it comes up repeatedly doing the thing? What do I still struggle with, and what do I do when it's playing on the KFU uh, radio in my head? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I struggle with a lot of things uh, because uh, uh, you know I, I actually admit that they're happening in my life. Uh, I, one of the things I'm struggling with is that I'm getting older. Uh, and that has a lot of issue, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that happens. There's physical stuff that goes on. There's mental stuff that goes on. And uh, I work in a very ageist business, and so there's ageism that goes on. Uh, and of course, there's gray hair, uh, and or what hair I have left is gray. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, you know, uh, you know uh, I, I mean, I struggle with a, a bunch of, uh, you know, with, with a lot of stuff. I was just last night going over my head about this honesty thing I was talking about. About, you know, I'm not dishonest, but I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not radically honest. I'm not aggressive. You know, I, I, and, and there are things, that, you know, professional things, you know, uh, in my life that. I probably could have gotten ahead of it, I didn't, and that may become problematic or may not. You know, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times it's easy to say, oh, well, I'll just let God sort that out. Yeah. But that's you know, a cop-out to an extent, because I have a responsibility to do my part. You know, uh, do the footwork and turn the results over. So what do I do? I do what the big book tells me to do and what my sponsor tells me to do. Uh, and that is, and then I'm going to go off on a tangent on you, but uh, that is that I, uh, I uh, ask God to remove my, my sponsors. Uh, I called my sponsor once and I said, you know, I have this thing at work and it's kind of weird, and I'm, but I'm working through the feelings and I'll, I'll be okay. And he called me up and he said, where in the big book do you see working through the feelings? Where Find the page where does I work through my feelings? Because it's not there. What it does say is that I ask God to remove those feelings and I immediately turn to be of service to somebody else. That's what it says. Now, my sponsor is very high-strung and very intense. Okay? And, 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 it, and I, I, 
Jack and I had a piece of amicable uh, disillusionment of our sponsorship because I went to work with these overeating guys. And this guy I worked with is a very high-strung guy. And I, we met last week, or last week, and after the meeting I said, you know, I don't know that I want to have that tight a grip on this. You know, this, this is, it just, it, and then I, then I began to think about it and I said, no, I need that tight grip because this disease is a tsunami, it's a hurricane. The, in one of the pieces of literature, I think it's the AA 12 and 12, it talks about our disease being a hurricane and mauls equally the just and unjust. Right? My disease is a hurricane. I need to hold on tight. I need that tight grip. Because if I don't have that tight grip, I start to float away. I, you know, I, as many of you know, I was involved with a birthday party in a, a service position. And, uh, and I, it was so intense that when I was done, I just didn't want anything to do with you guys for that. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's only a couple of weeks, but I, I, I went to less meetings. I did less work. I, I, I kind of step, took a step back and, and showed my food and showed my life. I need that grip. I need to hold on as tight as I possibly can. Because the minute I start to let go, I'm going to get swept away. And I don't, I, I don't have the luxury of being swept away. I just don't have that. So, so I do what the book tells me. I do what my sponsor tells me. I do what, 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 you know, what I call my learned elders like Jack and Terrell tell me. Because they've been through it and they understand what's going on. And so I do what I'm told. Which... Surprised to hear those words come out of my mouth. <laughs> how do you deal with business travel? Uh, how do I deal with business travel? I, uh, I had a job where I was on the road three days a week, every week, uh, doing a game show on an airplane in flight. True story. Uh, I flew 200,000 miles in six months. Uh, so, uh, well, would be the answer. No, I, I, you know, time zones are time zones. You got to plan ahead. I commit ahead of time. Uh, I eat three meals and two snacks. You know, I, when I'm traveling to another time zone on day one, I try to stay on Pacific time so that my meals make sense. That may mean eating at 10 or 11 o'clock in New York City, but that's okay. You know, because, you know, I need to keep... And, and you know, I can go into any restaurant and get something that is abstinent and healthy, and I can go to any restaurant and get something that will go take me completely off the rails. Just like I can in LA, you know. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I just and then when I'm in, if I'm in a new time zone for you know a day or two or three, then I'll go back. I'll start eating on their time zone, and then coming back sometimes a little tricky. Sometimes you get hungry, but you know it takes 26 days for someone to starve. You know, if I, I can put up with the 2.6 hours or 26 minutes. You know, I can manage that. I mean, I don't like to be hungry because that's not good for my disease. But, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, well, I don't know why I have a fear of hunger, which I do, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll survive. And I just have to keep telling myself that over and over. Occasionally, yeah, if I'm up 18 hours or 20 hours, I'll get a little hungry. I'll live. Can you tell us how you sponsor people? Can I tell you how I sponsor people? Uh, slowly. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I do what, uh, what was taught to me, uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, uh, we start the steps. You know, we, uh, I ask for food history, so I understand the person's food issues. Because, you know, I can be sane about somebody else's food. I can't be you know, objective about my own. I need somebody else. To, you know, I, I, you know, part of my problem is that 
I have a, you know, a, a, I have, my brain is broken when it comes to food. I can't apply my broken brain to my food. I can apply my broken brain to your food because I get to judge it. It's great. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, no problem. But when it comes to mine, I'm, I'm skewed. So I need someone to endorse what, you know, what I'm doing is saying. And so I want to endorse my sponsees. You know, food is saying so. I need to know what their issues are because we uh, we all have different issues. Some people are anorexic. Some people are bulimic. Some people are you know garden variety compulsive overeaters. Some people can eat bread without feeling the allergies. Some people can't. So you know you need to kind of figure out what that looks like. Create a plan, uh, and then start to work through the steps. Uh, you know, there's two ways to do it. One is through the AA 12 and 12. That's how I was taught the first time I went through the steps. The other is through the Big Book. And just to work through the big book and pick the steps out of the big book as you go along. Uh, both are equally effective and uh, it depends on, you know, on, on the, everyone's story. Everyone's an individual and uh, every plan needs to be individualized. Uh, yeah, I don't treat everybody the same. Everybody's got their own stuff. And, you know, and we start to do it, work the steps, you know, be honest, do a food plan and hope for the best. Yeah, I can't make them turn their will and their lives over to God. I can't make them admit that they're powerless. I can lead them down the road that I was led, and that's all I can do. And there's been many successes and many failures, much like Bill had. So, I'm sorry. Thanks for your share. So, contestant number one. Um, <laughs> oh, can you talk about radical um, acceptance and, and have you had trouble with that in your own experience, like? When you have the most resistance to that acceptance, what do you do? So, uh, what, what do I mean by radical acceptance? Or can I talk about radical acceptance yeah, and what, how does it impact? And am I, yeah. Well, here's the thing is, I, you know, I don't like to admit that, that, that certain things are the way they are. I don't like to see, you know, I, I, I have a certain rose-colored glasses you know, uh, attitude towards life. I uh, I'll call myself an optimist, you know, uh, and, uh, okay, uh, you know, and so, you know, I have an optimistic viewpoint of life, which is not always necessarily the reality, uh, and I also have, uh, you know, a somewhat self-aggrandized view of myself, which is not always reality, uh, and I need to, you know, to see the world for what it is. I need to, you know, accepting doesn't mean endorsing, and it doesn't mean enjoying. Right? It means accepting. It is what it is. You know, there are people who hate that expression, but it is what it is. The, the, the world is the way the world is. It doesn't matter what I want it to be, or what I like it to be, or even what I see it as. It's what it is. And I need to, to get in line with that. The more I am in line with the stream of reality, the easier my life is. Even if reality isn't easy. It's still easier than trying to pretend it's not. So I just I have to strip away all of my you know prejudices, all of my judgment, all of my you know I I've inter- you know, I've interviewed over a hundred thousand people in my career, so I like to think that I can peg anyone in thirty seconds. Okay, that's not true, but I think it is. So I act like that's the reality. Well, that's not the reality. That's my perception. So I have to strip away all of that which is a very well-honed professional you know, skill. I have to strip away all of that and, and, and see things for what they are. So, you know, for me, a judgmental, lying, cheating, you know, a-hole, 
uh, I have to strip away all of that stuff so that I can see the world for what it is. When I don't like it, too bad. But there is no getting around it. You know, I have a friend who is very ill right now. I really hate the fact that he's, you know, touch and go in the hospital. I can't change it. I can't pretend that he might not die. I can't pretend that he's not in the hospital and I should go over and get my butt over there and, 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 and support him. I gotta, you know, even though I don't want to see it, oh, yeah, I can't do that anymore. I can't go, oh, I see people do that all the time. I can't deal with that right now. Well, I have to deal with everything right now. That's radical acceptance. Dealing with it when it comes up in real time as it is and being honest about it. Not always easy. Uh, can you give a further definition of sober eating? Further definition of sober eating, yeah. It's not taking the edge off with food. It's, it's, it's creating a plan where you have parameters that you don't go beyond no matter what. So I eat between six and eight ounces of protein at a meal. Now I won't stand here and tell you that I've never eaten 8.3 ounces of protein at a meal because I eat out a fair amount and I ask about serving sizes but that's not always accurate. So, you know, but it, it, it's, a, it's a moderate amount of protein and basically produce. You know, it's protein and produce. I don't eat, you know, a lot of other stuff. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I don't eat rice, potatoes, pasta, blah, blah, blah. And so it's having a list of foods I don't eat, no matter what. Having a plan how I do eat, no matter what. And actually following. Thank you so much. Uh, we have some when I talk to God, what do I say? Well, sometimes I do the formal you know, prayers, and other days I wake up and say, you know, God, I'm not going to uh, you know, do those formal prayers. Just please help. I need your help. You know, and I'll talk about specific things that are going on. You know, uh, I need your help around this, or I need your help around that. But you know, I, I know that you know, the book says very plainly that God is not Santa Claus. Okay, that I can't ask God for stuff. I ask God for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. That's not always easy because I want things, right? We all want things. So I want things. I want God to help me get them. But God doesn't care about that, you know, in my experience. You know, God you know, is, is, is sort of the orchestrator of the reality. And if I can get in, you know, if I can you know, swim with the current as opposed to against it, my life is going to be easier. So I really just ask God to point I often say God point me in the right direction and give me a kick in the ass because I uh, you know I, even though I know what the right direction is I don't always walk, want to walk down that road uh, I, need, I need help doing that and what the help I get through is that God speaks through you and, and, and you and you and, and God speaks through the podcast and through the literature you know and God you know, shows me in retrospect I can't do tea leaves. I'm not. A, I really would love to be able to read the God tea leaves, but I can't do that. God comes to me in retrospect. Real, I'll tell real quick. I'll tell you a story. One, in one day, I didn't get three jobs that I was up for. Two of which I had already done, and I, and all the game shows that year were done. I said, I'm a game show producer. Can't get a job. I can't get a game show. I'm gonna. You know, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is terrible. Three months later, I got a job on this airplane thing, which was a great job, more lucrative than any of the other jobs, more fun than any of the jobs, and longer lasting than any of I wouldn't have known that that day. I didn't know three months down the road something better was coming, and that's why I didn't get these jobs. I can only tell in retrospect. 
So I, I do a lot of looking back and seeing where God's work is in my life and asking for help uh, you know, to understand what his will for me is, the power and courage to carry that because sometimes it's hard. I think that's my time. Thank you very much. <laughs>